I uh, just did a stereo thing with the old Patty. That was How, great. How's your mom doing? She's doing wonderful. She really likes uh, doing it. I can tell. Yeah. She's so, having fun. So yeah. on, uh, on, on these nights, well, I don't even know. Today's Thursday. So on Thursday nights, you and your mom are going to do like a 30-minute show together? I don't know. If we're, uh, I, I mean, I would like for it to be a continual thing. It's really fun. I, I don't, uh, don't want to commit to anything just because my schedule is already yeah. pretty packed. Yeah. But uh, I, think, I definitely think while we're doing the stereo stuff, perhaps every now and again, I just, we'll just do a little um, – We'll just do a bit of a check-in with the old Pats. I love it. I love it. So for people listening, you can go to Stereo.com slash Luke Carey or Stereo.com slash Gomer, and uh, you can just follow us, and you'll get notified within the app every time one of us goes live or we do a Catching Foxes live show, which is going to be every Sunday night at 9 p.m. Central Time. We're going to do about a 40, 45-minute show. That always becomes an hour, uh, an hour long. Um, but the idea of it is it's the after party after the show. So I'm going to work really hard to get this out Friday morning as early as possible. And, uh, and so people can listen and then join us Sunday night. And maybe uh, we can do some follow-up and have some, have some fun with the folks. It's fun. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good time. You know, it's it a is. little bit it's – it's, it's an interesting app, but I think it's a fun way to do a quick – it's a fun way to do a quick live thing. And I, yeah. I enjoy yeah. that it's not – I like doing video stuff. That's fun. But it always takes like a – that always takes a bit of effort and a bit of work. Yeah. And what's fun about this is we can just put on headphones, go for a walk walk around the block and do a live show. Yeah. And I really like that part. And you can put on headphones and go for a walk around the block and listen to us doing a live show. It's yeah. so cool. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and, it's and fun. And you, you just tap a little button and record a message, and you can record a funny comment or a question or whatever. And thank God for Kate Camden. She uh, hangs on the show as our moderator, and she takes them all in and then feeds them to us uh, like little baby birds. And so you get to be a part of the show. I think it's cool. I love it. Um, it's really disconcerting when the app starts, and it immediately pairs you with a show. And you're like, that's oh, what is weird. this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, then there's that the mute thing button. Right to... could change. Yeah, because, well, yeah. like, you just need to get your bearings. But their thing is, like, low barrier to entry. Go, go, go. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so I'm like, yeah. ah, I don't know what's happening. And then you just and hear you this. you can, like, start a show with another person by accident. Which I've done. And, like, when Luke ends the show and I'm still, like, he gets off the app, it'll just pair me with someone. And then you're like, oh, hello, hello. Hello. So it's kind of like a chat roulette in that way with less sex. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. So how are you, Luke? Luke, what a loaded question. What a loaded question. Yeah. I know the answer to that. The answer is not well. (sighs) Not well. Not well. So (laughs) last week. I told on I'm the quietly show. Quietly laughing in the background. <laughs> yeah. I'm not laughing. Just like, no, no, you're good. Last week, I, I well, we did it on our first stereo show. I, I told the story. but So I'll be brief here. Um, essentially, uh, part of Exodus 90 is to exercise. And so the exercise that I'm doing is to walk because I realize, like, I have a crap ton of stress. So in my walking, I either go, I pray the rosary, I go in silence, or I listen to podcasts and audiobooks. And one podcast I listen to that I've actually brought up on the show, um, the author of the book On Combat and On Killing, at the end of it, the guy said, if you could take your military life and apply it to your home life, what would be one thing? And he said, I would just tell men to secure their perimeter every night. Go downstairs, make sure lights are on, lights are off, whatever. Lock the doors, make sure it's all done, the trash cans are put away. And then maybe walk your block and just see if if your perimeter is secure. So I literally do that every single night from listening to that. I'm like, i got to get my steps in. I have a 12,500-step goal, and uh, that's about like six miles or something like that. So I walk three half-mile laps. That night I had to do four. My first lap, I see my neighbor. She looks very... 
out of sorts. And she's outside, and I walk by, and I say, hey, how you doing? And I always want her to know that I'm here, and I'm here for her. The second lap, a guy in a big white truck is dropped off. The truck leaves. I make a note of it because it was doing weird crap. And mm-hmm. they start talking, and I'm like, maybe that's her estranged husband. So I walk faster. I do my fastest lap yet because I don't want to leave her alone. My third time, they're angry. They're talking. I have my earbuds out every time. I'm about three houses from her house. And I'm just listening to see if it's getting crazy because I know he's crazy. The fourth lap, I take my earbuds out, put them in the case. I hear them. The third lap, they were angry but not – nothing abusive or weird. The fourth lap, they're not by the door. I can hear shouting. So I walk by, and I realize they're in their driveway. And their driveway is about eight feet from my driveway in my garage. So I go into my garage. I turn on the lights. I make noise. You know, like, hey, someone's here. Someone can hear you, that kind of thing. Because we all know what it's like when you let your anger get out of control. And I don't know if the guy is intoxicated or anything. And I don't want it getting way out of control. Well, it immediately did. And he is um, he is holding their dog off the ground by the collar, choking it, and it's yelping. And she is pleading and screaming and begging, let go of my dog, please let go of the dog. And he's saying to her, I'll give you your dog when you give me my shit. And he's every name in the book he's saying to her. And it was the, and I I have been thinking about this over and over again. Luke, you remember two years ago when I did the whole thing and I fell on my ass trying to stop that guy from, from Mm -hmm. hurting that other woman. I was terrified. My heart was all over the place. I was freaking out. This, I didn't feel any of those. I just walked immediately over to their driveway and said, Hey, how's it going? How's everyone doing tonight? And I put my hands up out in front of me. Like, I don't have anything. You know, I'm just here checking in. I'm doing that little Mm -hmm. hand wavy thing. And he turns on me, cocks his fist back, gets like in my face, but he's still choking the dog. And he's, before he cocks his fist back, he's holding stuff in his hand, like a picture frame or something, slams it on the roof of the truck. And he starts calling me every name in the book. And she looks at me and she's like, it's fine. Go, don't, don't be here. Don't be here. Go, 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 go. It's okay. Everything's fine. It's fine. Thank you. No, go, 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 go away. She's panicking. And he looks at me and he's still choking the dog. Like the back paws are almost off the ground. That's how high up he's raising. He's a medium sized dog. And then he does the cock back with the fist and he lunges towards me. And I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he's like, get back to your little house, you little bitch. Get back to your house. I apologize for the abusive language. And he's saying this to me and I'm taking a couple steps back. Every step forward he comes, I've still got my hands out and I'm taking a couple steps back. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm not here for that. I'm not here for that. And I take a step back. Because the one thing in my head I was about to say was, calm down, but you do not say that to a drunk who's ready to fight. You going to tell me what to do, right? Like, so I was like, hey, I'm not here for that. I'm not here for that. And I take a couple steps back, and then I, look, I walk sideways back to my garage, and he's like, that's right, bitch. Get out of here, you little bitch. And then he stops, and he looks at me, and he says, now I know where you live, you little bitch, and I'm coming for you. And I'm like, oh, oh. shit. And he goes, that's right. I know where you live. So now this is the worst thing in the world. So I go around to the front. I don't go into my garage. I go around the front, and I start calling my wife because I don't have keys to get into the front door. She's not answering her phone. I call her three times. I'm like, I'm going to call the cops after I call her for the third time because I want to make sure she's okay because that garage door is not locked. I'm, like, out of sorts. I don't know what to do. I don't hear yelling anymore. So I, my whole goal was to just break up the momentum of awful, and I was able to do that. And then I see a cop walking down the center of the street. And then I noticed, like, there's headlights. He had parked uh, further down the street, so I guess he wouldn't roll up on it and spook people. So I immediately go out to the police officer. He thinks I'm the guy because a bunch of teenagers in between my laps saw him grab her and slam her to the ground. 
They call the cops. Oh. So that's why he was there 30 seconds after I walked away from him. And he's like, you know, what are you doing here, blah, blah, blah. And I go, listen, there's, I was going out for a walk. There's a violent altercation right next to my house. My house is the one with the minivan. They're on the other side. This is what's going on. And he's like, it's not you. Give me your ID. And I give him my ID. So apparently the kid said it was a man in a white shirt, and I was wearing a white undershirt. And you could see it through my little, like, hoodie thing that I was wearing. And, uh, I mean, this is what the guy did. He grabs the back of his shirt with, with one hand while choking the other dog and pulls his shirt off, revealing his tank top undershirt, right? Uh, he's fully living out the nickname of that undershirt. And he is cocking back at me. Like, he's ready to brawl. He's ripping his clothes off. Oh, and I'm oh like, my Gomer. I know. Oh, I'm not. <laughs> don't do this. I'm full of chocolate. <laughs> I just came to tell you about BetterHelp.com. It's <laughs> 5% with foxes. <laughs> Do you guys have the stereo app? Anywho, <laughs> hollow. We get a sign up. We get $10 for every hollow sign up. <laughs> Maybe if we just all take a breath, we'll just go to betterhelp.com. <laughs> you can get a session in less than 30 minutes. <laughs> it's not a cell. It's, it's not a suicide line. Listen, this is great, though. It's great. No, but so- licensed therapist <laughs> anywhere in the world. <laughs> If you're Sorry, into that sort on. of thing. So the one cop comes. He's a string bean. God bless him. He was about to enter the fray. And then seven cops walk down about two minutes later. And I'm in my garage with the lights out so I can listen. But also I need to get my ID back from the officer. And things were just out of control. So I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. Eventually I hear from the police mm. filing a pr- report that he had – they were down by the door. Uh, my My third lap, they were at the front door. Well, apparently – he kicked in the door. She tried to stop him several times. He threw her to the ground, cocked his fist back to her. He ripped some crap off the wall, grabbed the dog by the neck, and drug it outside. And when she tried to stop him, he slammed her on the ground. Ugh. And that's that's just the report that I heard. And so my uh, so I'm hearing all this, and you know I'm thinking the last thing he said to me is, "I know where you live, bitch." Mm-hmm. And it, this is horrible. So then he's in the back of the car. He's screaming, "I love you!" You tell him I never laid a hand on you. Tell him that. Well, too bad. He's, they have witnesses. And the, the other issue is, you know, so many women are terrified of their, of their abusive spouses and the retribution that can happen if they file charges. And so, but what happens in the state of Texas is if it's a family life issue, the state files charges. It's out of the hands of anyone, right? So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he had second-degree burglary, burglary of a habitation, um, which is second-degree felony. Um, and he was taken into handcuffs on Friday night. So, obviously, he can't do anything until Monday morning, and I find out that he posted bond and was let go on Monday night. Now, what makes it even Mm -hmm. worse is there's a 200-yard protection order for her house and her person, and she saw him Monday night driving his truck in front of our houses and saw him about six times on Tuesday. So, I find this out. I go home, and I tell my wife. I know that part. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's what escalated it. So I walk in the front door, and I said, Shannon. And I I spent about 45 minutes talking to a former military officer, former police officer um, at the local firearm store. And I'm I'm telling him all this stuff. And I said, you know, I got bear repellent and mace. And he's like, you know, I used – and I said – so I started asking him all these questions. I was like, if I would have sprayed him, what do you think would have happened? Would that have made it worse since I didn't have a firearm to back myself up? And he said, well, if he was high and intoxicated, I said, I think he was both. And he said, it would have made, he, it would, it can put him on the ground, especially since I have bear repellent. And he said, that can knock him on the ground. But if that wind shifts, that can knock you on the ground. If yeah. you sprayed bear repellent That's at him. That's the thing about that stuff. Yeah, yeah. it would have hit her too. Because bear repellent yeah. can go 18 feet, but it like fogs. 
Whereas the, yeah. the pepper spray that I bought is a pepper gel. It's like a deadly stream, but it, mm-hmm. it doesn't spread out. But that stuff, if there's wind, like, it's going to take you out. And if he's drunk or if he's high and you get it in your eyes and she has it in hers and the dog gets it too, like, you've just complicated the thing because he's pissed, enraged, and now you're stumbling. And he's yeah. like, so yeah. he said, I'm glad that you had some verbal jujitsu that you could uh, – you could dodge that and and, ta- and and prevent it. He said, you did the right thing. He said, unless you had a gun, you don't use the pepper spray. And I was like, holy crap, holy crap. And um, so I, I go home and I say, Shannon, I know you're not going to like what I'm about to say. Pack, we're going to get the kids in their jammies. We're going to eat dinner. And then we're going to my parents' house. Because this is the like the first 48 hours, man. Get the heck out yeah. of Dodge. Yeah. So yeah. that was really difficult on Shannon. And I think a lot of it was her having to come to terms with the fact that our home, and she's a homebody, is no longer safe. Mm-hmm. So she goes home, uh, or we go to my parents' house. We spend the night there. We just make it a lot of fun, do everything we can that's fun. I'm panicked. Yeah. I could not. I told her this morning when we got back to our house, I had installed cameras all morning on uh, Wednesday morning all over my house. So I have mm-hmm. those ring cameras everywhere. I mm-hmm. have the whole thing. And, uh, and uh, I told her, I said, Shannon, I know you didn't agree with our decision to go to my parents' house. I said, but here's the deal. I have to protect our family. This was the best course. I said, you have to understand that in the 30 minutes that I was home before I made that decision to you, I every diesel truck that drove by, I like am jerking my head out the window. Every yeah. single time. I said, yeah. I could not have gone to bed that night. That night before, I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I went to bed at 11, woke up at 3. I couldn't sleep. And what did I do? Mm-hmm. I stood at the window and just watched. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I was nervous. I was like, um, I was like, I started to just, uh, I mean, I'm not trying to, here's what, here's how I processed all of this. (laughs) Okay. That's enough, Gomer. This is how it hurt Lukey. (laughs) Anyways, uh, discussion over destruction. I, no, um, I mean, even (laughs) I, I I could tell by your voice how serious it was. Yeah. Because, I mean, because you told us, you told us a story before and i was trying to like i mean of course it was in um, insanely serious yeah. but anytime i would I'd make a joke was just to try to like you know like mm. ease the like yeah. ease attention so you called me and i go are you alive <laughs> 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 which is what you want to hear and immediately by just like the tone of your voice i was like oh this isn't good and so you so you kind of like you basically did like a, even a shorter version of all of that and I came home and I I was like nervous for you so I started like cleaning up my house because I'm like I don't know what to do with this energy <laughs> panic cleaning <laughs> yeah and oh, uh Luke. Oh, Luke. so do you feel better now do you feel like you're in a better place do you feel like your family's in a better place do you I know that it's I know that yeah. I think like one of the person or so had told you the first um, couple of that the first um, couple of days are the most yeah, when that's when go he's bad, the most pissed. Be it, yeah. pissed. Yeah, yeah. That's when he's the most pissed because he had to go spend a whole weekend in jail. Can you file a restraining order against him? Well, there's already a protective order against him for her, and she lives right next door. So it affects so no reason. But yeah, can they do it for him? Like, you know, if he can't follow you, if you go out, you know. You know, I talked with someone. Yeah, I talked with someone in law enforcement, and I told them what he said and how he threatened me. He, he cocked his fist back and charged me three times. And, you know, used highly abusive language, you know, like this was not a, this is not a guy that is messing around. And he, dem- he was demonstrating overt acts of violence to the dog in front of me and had already done that to her, but I didn't see that part, right? But you could tell everything was out of control. So I, the, the law enforcement guy that I talked to later, he said 
I am shocked that the police officers didn't take a statement from you, didn't get information from you, didn't file an additional charge of animal abuse, didn't file oh wow terrorist threat yeah. because it's yeah. a class. If someone says I know where you live and then and threatens violence, that's called like terrorist threat or something like that. And he said this is Texas statutes; like they could have done all of that, but they didn't. And he said, so I'm wondering why. But then he later he actually got his buddy. Or he got the prosecutor to send him the order, and he goes, okay, the reason why they did that is this is a second-degree felony. So they're pushing for the biggest charge of all, which will over okay. you know usurp okay. everything else. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, I'd like a little protection now. So he's going to help me he navigate said I, He that. said he knows where I live. Yeah. So, so needless to say, I am scared. So uh, there was a podcast. So I, uh, this Order of Man podcast I listened to where I heard that lieutenant say, you know, secure your perimeter. Well, I was listening to it, and I typed in home defense in the episodes because he has, like, 300 episodes. And he had this short episode. It was maybe 20 minutes long where he talks about how just the other day someone came to his front door at 2 o'clock in the morning. And he's like, within 30 seconds, me and my wife had our Glocks in our hand. She's securing the kids. I'm going downstairs. I can see through all the windows, blah, blah, blah. So he tells the story, and he said, this is what I want you to do. Think of it as layers of security. Put the stupid stickers on your windows that say home protected by blah, blah, blah. He said, is that going to stop everyone? No, it's a little sticker. He said, but it will deter someone. So that's one layer. Yes, that's true. Yeah, he said, get a dog. Have a sign that says beware of dog. That's not going to stop everyone. But to someone who doesn't want a barking dog, that'll stop them. He said, and then figure out your most vulnerable entry points, your windows that are big and close to the ground, your doorways. Can you see the doorways from the windows? Do you have good exterior lighting? And I was like, holy crap, how funny. Our hallway, our, so we have like a, a our, our front door is kind of on the side of our house. And so it's like a little hallway, which is great for like packages. It's kind of nestled back and people can't see the packages from the road. But the one light that we have burned out like three days earlier and we hadn't replaced the bulb. So it's like pure darkness in front of the door. We don't have a window on that area. There's yeah. three huge front windows right in the front of our house that anyone we looking in. We didn't get in, sponsored by any of the Simply Safe people when they had that chance. <laughs> Luke, so we I'm, have no security. I'm looking at Lowe's and I was like, damn you, Simply Safe. Why couldn't you have sponsored our show? We were one of you. We were proposed to you. Yeah. We were proposed. Hey, everyone. Let me take a couple minutes to tell you about stereo. Fans tell us all the time how they yell and scream in their cars, at their phones, when me and Luke make a crazy comment while listening to the show, and they hope that we can somehow hear them through the ether. Well, guess what? Now we can. Luke and me, every Sunday night, live at 9 central p.m., are going to be on the Stereo app for a Catching Foxes after party. The Stereo app lets you talk with us directly. You get to ask your questions, yell at us, make funny comments, all within the Stereo app. This is not a pre-recorded show. This is not scripted content. It's a live conversation because Stereo is the live social conversation app. You want to head over to Stereo.com slash Gomer, get the Stereo app, set up your account, and follow us. Every time we launch a live show, you will get notified. I'll put all the links in the show notes for you. This is the coolest thing. Stereo has thousands of live conversations. So you, once you set up your account, you get to maybe be a co-host with one of us. You get to chime in on the conversation with your questions or comments live, and everyone can hear it who's listening. Or you can simply listen and enjoy the after party like the beautiful brooding wallflower that you are. 
Join us live every Sunday night at 9 Central for a Catching Foxes after party on the Stereo app. Go to Stereo.com slash Gomer, and in that app, which is dead simple and a lot of fun, you will get notified every time one of us goes live. It's great. It's awesome. Thank you, Stereo, for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. So instead, I went ring from Costco. I can't get a ring doorbell camera because my doorbell sits sideways and low, and there's no place to mount it on in front of the door, so I would never get a face view. But um, So I bought the three stick-up cameras. I have a floodlight with a motion sensor and a camera, and that's going to go above my garage. I'm going to aim it so that it also gets her garage and driveway because I really do. She came over on Sunday. I didn't tell you this. I don't know if I told you this, but she came oh, over yeah. our house on Sunday. You did. Yeah, okay. And she just said, um, he has a crew. And she's like, I don't. She goes, I, she's, I'm here to say I'm so embarrassed that that happened. I want to thank you for sticking up for me. And then she said, but in all due respect, never do that again because he will kill you. And I can't live with the fact of you or your oh, family getting hurt. Gosh. And then she looked at me and she said, he is going to be furious that you, he has control and power. And you took yeah. his power from him. And the fact that he said all those things to you, this is a man who does not know how to forgive. He tortured me for five years, and he's still torturing me to this day. Like, one day he took the battery out of her car and just drove off, thought it was hilarious. You know, like, horrible stuff like that, just to ruin her day, you know? And Do you uh, think you should move? Um, No, not right now. I don't, and I don't want to. But uh, I mean, I, I don't want you to either. I'm just saying. No, like, I, I know. I mean, it's definitely mind. something that we've had to talk about. Like, how nuts yeah. is that? We've had to talk about that. But yeah. um, when she said that, I she thought said, about it. Yeah, she said, never do that again because he will hurt you. And then she goes, and he has a crew. His little friends, they'll get pissed off for him. And I'm like, oh, people are so evil. I know. And it's one of those things that you have to realize, like, there is malevolence in people. It's not saying that he is beyond redemption. But he is, like, you have to understand that some people are negative actors. They really do. That line mm-hmm. from Batman about the Joker is the most brilliant line ever. Some men really do want to watch the world burn. Like, that's mm-hmm. what delights them. Th- th- he would gladly kill his own dog because he knows it'll hurt her. I think about the line from Tombstone when they're talking about, uh, like, I can't remember, like, exactly. I'm your Huckleberry. <laughs> like why? Like why does like of Johnny Ringo? Like like why is he? Why is he the way that like um he is? And I think it's Doc Holliday who just says he's uh, mad at the world for being born. Yeah. Oh, just what a that, great line! That like irrational anger yeah. of just well, existence. That's, that's exactly. You know? I mean, that's the fullness of nihilism when you despise the world for being itself. And that was one of the Columbine yeah. shooters, the older one, when he when they wrote their letter. Uh, their manifesto, that's what he said. And you can find it, and you can read it, but you realize, like, the language of, like, the Club of Rome, right? Like, humanity is a virus. We're a cancer. We should be destroyed. You know, or polluting the earth. You give it to the animals. They can do it better. You know, all that stuff. The only good human is a dead human. That's when it goes from self-hatred to genocidal. And this man's brother murdered three people and killed himself in 2018. And his truck is sitting eight feet from my garage, right? So this is not outside. So I told Shannon what what his brother did three years ago can happen tonight. We're going to my mom's house. We have to. Yeah. And she she went, and she was so pissed. And she had every right to be pissed because it wasn't up for discussion. I asked her 
to make it our decision. And she's like, no, no, no. But we talked about it, you know, later yeah. when, when the emotion was drained from the idea of and she, and she said it so perfectly. She said, this is my home. This isn't fair that I don't feel safe. I said, and you're right. It's not fair at all. And that doesn't matter. Right. Like, that's what sucks when you're a little the hard kids. part about. Yeah. 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 Oh, man, I'm I'm proud of you for doing the right thing. And I'm sorry that this is the cost of it. Yeah, I really am. Like, I really was. I was so worried for you guys. And I just because that it's not it, it's not even like, you know, that like the overwhelming odds are it's probably going to be fine. Yeah. You know, but it's just that like, but there's that chance now and the chance is much higher than it's ever been. Yeah. For it to not be fine. We all know that death is around the corner for everyone. But when death is literally next door, like or the threat of it, it takes such a dramatically different shift. Like, like yeah. for yeah. instance, yeah. so this morning, uh, my wife and kids went to the zoo. So my, my idea of let's just get out for one night, and Shannon said, well, what are we going to do, hide for the rest of our lives? Like, I said, no, I want to get away when the emotions are at their fever pitch. And I said, and you're going to the zoo on Thursday. So if we're gone on Wednesday – you know, you'll be at the zoo on Thursday. I'll have cameras everywhere. That's just another layer. That That's just another layer between us and him. So this morning, I uh, I get my coffee, and my kids are – I don't think my kids were awake. And, Luke, I, this is the thing that ha- that I've realized, right? I'm not, I'm not scared. I'm not anxious, like, jittery. You know, I don't have that energy, that nervous energy. Um, but it, it occupies my thoughts, like, right below an obsession. So I'm staring mm-hmm. out the front yeah. window, yeah, and I'm just imagining him on the other side, walking up with a gun in his hand, and I'm like, okay, what would I do? What's the first scenario? How would I act if if he doesn't see me? How can I stop him at the front door? What if he puts shots through the front door? What can I get him with right now? Because I can't go to the garage because I'm right in front of these huge ass windows and he can see me. The garage door is right next to him. What do I do? How do I fight him? And like my brain is just spooling. And I'm like, crap, I can't do anything. I can't protect my kids against the onslaught of such, Lord of the Rings, reckless hate. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, what can man do against such reckless hate? Right out with me. <laughs> For death and glory, Luke? For Rohan. For your people. <laughs> <laughs> the collision of faith and culture. We, we can only process yeah, life-altering yeah, things through the yeah. lines of movies. <laughs> this is the oh. most catching boxes thing we have <laughs> ever done. Oh, yes. yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I just go and blow horns. Clop, 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 clop. And then all of a sudden, um, Joey Muckenthaler comes down the hill with a bunch of other people that he got with them. He's yeah. got, like, Jonathan Alexander's there. <laughs> the first light on the fifth day. Look to the east. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, evil dude. <laughs> but, I mean, okay, think about it from that perspective. I had an orc, mm-hmm. right? Right. It's not that this man was irredeemable in a metaphysical sense, but his entire trajectory, the inertia of his decisions for his whole life. And I, I don't know his backstory. He might have been beaten every day of his life. He might have had his daddy put cigarettes out in him and done all the horrible things that rednecks do to their kids to make them this way. He might have had an excellent childhood upbringing and then he went off a path into darkness. But this man is an agent of chaos. Right. And that's what I keep thinking. Right. You have the knower, the known and then the wider universe of the unknown. And the unknown is terrifying. 
right? And I talked about this with you with Luke or with uh, my son Noah. And when I was talking about the known, the knower, and the unknown, and he goes, mm-hmm. oh, like when we got Buddy and I was scared of him and I hid behind you. And it's like I, I knew you would keep me safe, but I didn't know that um, – I didn't know if Buddy would be safe around. I didn't know him, right? And now Buddy knows mm-hmm. me. And I'm his favorite and all this stuff. And it's like this man is unknown itself. Like he throws – like my house was once safe. Now it's unknown. Right. There's nothing but chaos because the front windows that I love because it lets in the morning light are now the biggest point of vulnerability in my life. Yeah. So what did I do? I put little stickers on them. (laughs) We have a thorn bush in front and I went and I bought a big plastic, a big planter and I'm going to put a big plant in it and I'm going to put that in front of the second window. The third window is actually runs right alongside a sidewalk. I can't I can't put anything in front of it. So I think I'm going to buy a planter box and drill it into the masonry of the, the brick. And just put a planter box somewhat in front of it and plant some evergreen bushes or something. I don't know. But just have something physical that will disrupt the access. Because I'm not going to put bars. Right? Yeah. But now, see, that's the thing that drives me insane. Now it's when unknown. When this house get bars? <laughs> Sorry. That was a deep cut. It's uh, a deep cut. But that's the thing that I realized is so destabilizing, destabilizing in my life is, like, the things that were once known are now unknown. They're now sources of chaos for me. Every diesel truck that drove by my house, mm, yeah, I stared out the window. My daughter said to me uh, when I first came home before we went to my parents' house, before I told my wife we were going to our parents' house, my parents' house, I said, she goes, Daddy, why do you keep looking out the window? And I'm like, no reason. Daddy, you keep looking out the window. Why? And I was putting bags, putting clothes in my backpack. She's like, why are yeah. you packing? And I go, oh, I just want to have extra clothes. I'm like, this is my bug out bag, baby. But I'm, I, I must have looked out my bedroom window, which overlooks the front street. I mean, Luke, 30 times in a minute, like glancing, glancing, glancing. Yeah. There's a truck, glancing. So that's when I was like, I got to go. I got to go. You can't do it. I am, I, you did the right thing. I absolutely 100% think it was the right thing. And the fact that you were able to podcast, like when we recorded with Father uh, Dave and Bob Rice, to me is yeah. incredible. And you wouldn't have thought that anything was going on by the way that you were acting or anything like that. Well, and this is the funny thing. I don't have nervous jitteriness. I don't right now. My whole life has been thrown off, but I'm not like, I do have elements of this anxiety and fear, but it's not like it was a year ago or two years ago or something like that. And I don't know why. I mean, it can be a combination of things, um, but I am happy that where I am right now is a stable and sane place from which to face this really insane mm-hmm. thing. So I came yeah. home and I cleaned out all the bug guts around <laughs> the thing that, that was over my front porch. It blocked like 90% of light. I had no idea the bug guts that were inside this light out in my yeah. in front of my front door were blocking so much light. So I cleaned it all out, put a new bulb in, and I'm like, oh my goodness, this thing is so bright. I was like, nah, I should get a new light out here to get bright. And I'm like, oh no, that's fine. And uh, I went and installed a new light in my garage. Like these really cool things they sell at Lowe's, which replaces one bulb. It screws in the place and it has three panels, foldable panels of super bright LEDs. And so I have that. It's like the surface of the sun bright in my garage. And uh, I showed Shannon how to use the ring cameras. And so she's aware of how to, like, manipulate them and view the footage. And now we realize how much cats love our house, which is really weird. Uh, <laughs> so we got a lot going on, man. And uh, it, it's scary, but it's... Um, but, I, I mean, I don't know what to say. I, it's scary, but life is going on, I guess. Yeah. And I imagine as a, like it'll get better one day after the next. Yeah. So that's tough. Like, when your whole life is just changed like that, 
and what's was once a good thing or a secure thing or is a stable a relationship becomes unstable and dangerous or something that's yeah that's unnerving that's yeah. really difficult and i i i um reached out to my leadership team and i just said listen because of the craziness at home i might not come into the office for the rest of the week just know i'll be at home, if you need me, text me, but I'm, I'm definitely taking half days these next two days. I'll try to come in for the meetings, and I was able to, so that was good. But, yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, I mean, I mean, just everything, like, what do I need to do? How can I do this? And just trying to be smart in an area where I was naive and took for granted, like, all of these things. And, um, you know, I, mm-hmm. my, my message for people, like, in these situations is a line that I heard from Jordan Peterson that I loved. He said... Uh, we don't, he said, all of life is a tragedy. We only get to choose which cross we will carry. And when Christ said, you have to take up your cross and follow me, the true greatness of a human is not that he escapes the cross, but is in the decision to carry the cross. Cause you're going to carry a cross. And if you choose it, that's what makes you noble. And I keep thinking, I keep saying that over and over in my head. I'm like, I chose to help this woman. I knew that man could beat me into oblivion and would enjoy it. He would enjoy it. But if I don't do anything, something horrific is going to happen. And I I, swear, I I don't know how to say this. I don't know how to transmit this. But I it was almost as if I didn't make a decision. Like the decision was made when I made did Exodus yeah. 90 or started yeah. trying to become a, when I when I was baptized. The decision was made to walk over to that scene. Like, that's the cool thing. It was like, I, the, it was the inertia of my life walking over there. Mm-hmm. Hey, guys, how's it going? You know, me trying to rely on my nice pair of wits and, uh, <laughs> and my verbal skills. <laughs> oh, God help me. God help me. Uh, it'll be okay. I really think it'll, it'll, it'll be okay. The one bright light is we started playing Monopoly, and Ooh, Cecilia has acquired uh, – she literally acquired complete – Sets of sets of colors, right? Of the properties, she acquired like six of them, <laughs> like or, or she acquired four of them and all the utilities and half the railroads. And I'm like, what the hell? I'm not playing the loot. I'm not. I'm playing to win. She is destroying <laughs> me. I have two she, properties. She, she, she goes, pay up, boomer. What? <laughs> oh my gosh, my kids actually do say that to me. What's up? They go, okay, boomer. You know that whole. Okay, I would get this. so mad if someone. <laughs> I know. I know. They, I, I actually get more mad when they call me Jar Jar. They're like, whatever, Jar Jar. <laughs> I get no Lisa respect. Says. I get no respect. Oh, uh, hey. Well, I have to stop. Uh, yeah. Because I have to go to bed. But uh, I'm glad you're okay. Thank you. It's just going to go before or after the Bob Rice and Father David interview. I don't know. What do you think, Luke? I think this could I think be a before. good introduction. Yeah. I, I think, think this will be a good yeah. introduction. People, yeah. we got to talk to the president of Franciscan and Bob Rice. They, they are They, they are did good not in- shame us. They did not shame us. Father Dave did not insult us the whole time. In fact, I tried to insult him most of the time. Um, but uh, it's 9.46 my time right now, almost 11 for Luke. So I'm going to spend tonight and tomorrow editing that and uh, putting it together. So this is the first time we've ever done a show to introduce an interview. But uh, I hope you all stick around, enjoy it. Thanks to our sponsors, BetterHelp and uh, Stereo. Get your Stereo app and join us for a live show. I think we have one more oh. sponsor as well, that Matt dude. He's oh, doing a thing. yeah. The Catholic Card Game Online. Yeah, more information will be included in the show notes. God bless y'all. Oh, patreon.com slash cf. Patreon.com slash cf.
Hey guys, it is Luke here, and I'm here today to tell you once again about BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. BetterHelp. Is there something that is getting in your way with your own personal happiness or is preventing you from trying to achieve your goals? Listen, 2021 is a lot like 2020. Everyone's having a hard time right now, and that is okay. Help is out there. You can find help right now. With BetterHelp, they can actually get you a match with your own professional licensed therapist within I'm a 48 hours. They are not a crisis line. It is not a self-help thing. It is professional counseling done up securely online. And we have the Catching Foxes on the listeners from all over the country, even Canada. Anyone, anywhere in the world can get help through BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com. Here is the deal. Once you just start, I'm living a happier life today. But I'm going to tell you that it actually really does work. I know some people who've gotten some great help, pun intended, from BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This podcast is, is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Catching Foxes um, listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash foxes. Catching Foxes listeners get 10% off, off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash foxes. Okay, so sorry, I'm Bob ahead. Rice, and we and I'm here with Father wait, wait, Dave, wait, and we have this a podcast. Is, we're joining them, right? What? Okay, well, yeah, you guys we're joining them. Take we don't over. do intros. We're guests. We don't do yeah, intros. Bob. We don't. Oh, this is, oh, we just everyone, start. let's get fancy for Father. Yeah. Clericalism on parade. <laughs> thanks for thanks for dressing up your set. What is that? A gray wall or a light black wall? Either way, thank you. Uh, <laughs> it's dark wall. Okay, just so last time I was on, your guys' headline said. Father insults us the whole show. <laughs> now you know why. You know? Now you know yeah, why. Yeah, but I edit this part out. <laughs> yeah, exactly you remember when we right. tried to get you on again and you were like, I will. This is like right before you were, you were, a, not, you were a not a president. So I totally get it. And uh, you were like, I'll do it, but just keep it clean. <laughs> and I was yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah, fair. You have a lot going on right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's times fair. have changed. Times have changed. So how much? Okay, so, so what we did instead was just steal your voice, your homily, and layer it over episode number seventy-two, which was uh, Father Michael Scanlon's uh, that was funeral. a good one. And so we did a tribute, and I just stole your homily for it. So thank you. It's the least I could do. <laughs> you give and take away. That was a couple <laughs> of years ago. Yeah. I didn't realize episode been that episode seventy-two. Yeah, We're on episode like yeah. two eighty-one now. Well, that's awesome, you guys. It was a, that was actually yeah. a really good episode, and we recorded it really yeah. early, like six in the morning. And uh, yeah, I was amazed at how coherent it sounded because it was like one it, we, we weren't up late. I'm drinking, and we're talking about a real serious thing. It's kind of like a love letter to the school, I think, in like a weird. Oh, that's way. cool. I'll have to go back and listen so, to it. I worked on crying. Yeah, and one the point stuff in time. that we were. Yeah, we, yeah. Well, and then after we recorded that, we, um, like at noon or whenever, 10 a.m. or whenever you did the funeral mass, I was like, these were very similar points that we hit about our remembrance as a Father Michael. That's cool. And how cool is that? So I took your homily and broke it into chunks and kind of wove it throughout the whole show. That's awesome. And That's um, awesome. to this day, that is the default show that is my template for everything. So whenever I create, so I created a template out of that show and I call it the seventies because I couldn't remember the number, but I knew it was in the seventies somewhere. So every time I click it, it's like finding the file, father, Scanlon funeral homily. And I'm like, skip, that's not what I'm doing now. But, uh, so you call it that seventies yeah. show. Yeah. 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 I'm the Ashton right. Kutcher. Fair enough. I'm not sure if I pronounced <laughs> his name right. I'm the Indian guy. <laughs> I'll be Topher Grace. Who are you going to be, Father Dave? I just will be. I have no idea He's what you're saying. 
He's like, I just want to go to bed. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Father, who watches your TV now that you're the president? Who watches it for you? Do you have like a an orderly or a doorman, a porter? Who watches my what? Your TV for you because you're so busy now. Oh, I, I see what you mean. Such and so oh, forth. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to say to that, Comer. So, uh, it's fine. Yeah. Fair enough. Father, Father yeah. Denny. Father Denny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember <laughs> Father Denny. So I, have a, so I actually have a legit question. Uh, okay. You just guys for the record, up... though, I, I looked at some of the questions there on Facebook. You guys got issues. <laughs> <laughs> Gomer, you have to see how I, how I posted it. Are there? Wait. Were we supposed to prep for no, this? Are no, 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 no. So, I, so oh, okay. I just wanted so because I, I had a couple things that I like wanted to ask, and, and I thought you know because like like our show is very it's I mean you guys you guys have, have both been on it in, in the past, but I would but I, I would imagine a bunch of people who are listening who who have not heard us before. So one, I'm sorry, um, but two, it is extremely open ended, and so I was but I did want to that like so the, uh, there there is a Facebook group called um French it's uh called it's uh called Franciscans involved in evangelization. Or something like that. It's all about it's all about um graduates who are now involved in evangelization. And so I thought it'd be kind of cool to ask them like, what things would you want us to ask? Like, ask like you guys. And we and I put it in a very egotistical way, as I'm known to do. And uh, <laughs> I wrote, "Hi, it's Luke. You know who I am," as I typically do. <laughs> it went on. <laughs> and then um, I was thinking, sorry. Well, I was thinking you put that on your catching foxes. I didn't realize it was at that with that website. <laughs> that changes everything I'm about to say. <laughs> to... It ups the ante a little bit, doesn't it? It ups the ante a little bit. <laughs> but uh, so, what, like, I want to know is uh, so I've been listening to I so I I, um, I have to be honest. I don't listen to a ton of um, Catholic podcasts, but well, then you'll love ours. <laughs> true. Yeah, I right. did listen to the first one. That you guys did, and then I didn't. I'm listening again until this past until this past weekend, and I probably binged like four or five episodes. And I was like, "This is really good." And but what I also want to know was: was there any part of you that really wanted to do it because you were like, "Luke and Gomer cannot be the only men from like Franciscan to have a podcast. This is making us look bad." That was the only reason. Fair I enough. Think we were that well, we wanted well, to I'm do confused. It. You and Gomer have a podcast? You may have heard of it. I don't know. It's, it's kind of a thing. It's, it's not. I thought you were going to say, uh, you and Gomer are men. I didn't, I didn't realize that. I... Yeah, that's good. Well, our, our wives would say no, but. Hey, why do you, you probably get asked this question all the time. Why are you guys, what's the title of your podcast? It originally started as a, a, a how-to guide to seduce women. <laughs> Okay. So it was all about catching foxes. So sure. we're yeah, going that, to yeah. bars. We're going to clubs. We're going to the you going, after are you going party to Skeeters? in the hotel lobby. We're going to Skeeters. Are you, are you, we're yeah. going, are you to... going back to the Saturday Night Live? Uh, mm-hmm. Your first comedy? Yeah. I break yeah. with thee, I break with thee, I break with thee, and then I throw dog poop on their shoes. <laughs> I actually yes. vaguely so remember that. When we realized that we couldn't actually give advice in that area, we flipped the script, plot twist, it's actually faith and culture. No, so the Catching Foxes all comes from a band that Luke introduced me to my freshman year that is still an obsession of mine. But really just the freshman year music that I listen to, I haven't really gotten into their new stuff. I was so long. I, I it's pretty good when you really dabble into, into it. it but, it's, not as, uh, it's not as explicitly yeah, yeah. Christian, I would say. But it's there still. Yeah, and so the band is called Me Without You, and the album that I loved was called Catch For Us The Foxes. And I was like, what about Catching Foxes? It sounds artistic enough that it's vague. And it's ba- it's uh, an allusion to Song of Songs uh, chapter two. Let's do it. And I think it does um, capture what we were trying to do, which was um, 
so there is a line in in um, that song that uh, so the, the, uh, where they sing I'm catch the foxes they sing slash talk scream it's kind of weird but um, he has this line where he goes I bent my head as if to pray but I was actually staring down her dress dear God I'm catch the foxes and I was like that tone of that line that's what I want the podcast to be about like those really hard looking down someone's dress well no but like. Head yeah, so he said, pray. I bow my head as if to pray. Yeah, but like, I was so that really kind of like, dress. you know, like Jim Gaffigan says, uh, peace be with you and an extra piece for you, right? Like the idea at its core of a, in the song, it is a brutal honesty about how people can use and leverage their religious outwardness. Yeah, yeah. But really, there's still a lot of rotten dead men's bones mm-hmm. inside, right? Mm-hmm. And the idea was, the idea was supposed to be. Like, I think Luke actually summarized it better than anyone or either of us had ever had, where he said, it's... You mean the, just the, now? You guys look so horrified. Okay. No, 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 no. I'm sorry, two weeks ago. He said... Yeah. He's, yeah that, no, that was it. Good night. Uh, no, he said, uh, we're the conversation people who do ministry have yeah. when they get to the bar after an event. Right? Like, the processing, the, like, the, the uh, what's it called? Drovers? Mm-hmm. After mm-hmm. a Steubenville youth conference where the team gets downstairs and we're all like, oh, my gosh, what was that guy screaming? What happened over there? And, hey, I really, you know, it is this honest conversation that we try to have without, um, you know, we talk about the intersection of faith and culture. Sometimes we just talk about Marvel. Sometimes we talk about a lot of stuff that, you know, that is totally off the rails but still relevant. And it's trying to be as honest as possible. And. It doesn't work with everyone. And no, and, and honestly, that. I think that that's one of the things I've appreciated about you guys is you've been just kind of honest with who you are and what you're about. You didn't, you're not trying to please everybody. You're just doing what I, I think what you guys want, think the Lord wants you to do. So yeah, I think that's and, cool. Uh, well, thank you, Father. I really, I, uh, I really do appreciate that. And like, that's what I really like about podcasts. When I first got into them around 2008, 2009, it, um, it was just – it felt so normal, but it was packaged as a show. That's the only way I can explain it. Whereas it just – like this is I – like I, I feel like I actually know who these people are as opposed to this script. And it just is this natural conversation that, of course, has like a whole bunch of edits and it does have a flow to it. But it's just it's, – it's, it's very um, human in that way. And that is one thing that I really do like about your guys' show is it like – because I've hung out with you guys. I've um, hung out with you guys a couple times. And it like that actually is you. Like it, it's it's and it's very it's very unnatural and I I really I really enjoy it. Like why um, why do a podcast like that? Well, a couple of things. Uh, first off, I'll be honest and I'll ask I'll answer first, Bob, and I'm sure he'll say something totally opposite. Um, but but that uh, we wanted to do something that was just that. You know, we wanted to be able to um, be honest, just kind of share our thoughts and our feelings, our reflections. Uh, to be totally truthful, we didn't want to do something that was going to take a great deal of research and <laughs> yeah. study and just being able to share kind of our story. And and just that was that our desire was to be able, I mean, Bob and I have been friends for 25 years and just be able to just kind of, we've had people say, listen to us, like at these team meetings that you were talking about, Luke, they would say, all right, you two are just like the way you react to each other is just ludicrous. So we thought maybe we'd share that. But I will say that one of my concerns is what you just kind of alluded to, Luke, and that's that that people who know us are going to go, oh, this is fun because they know us. And people who don't know us are like, <laughs> what the heck is this? You know, and, and, right. and never. But I think once you kind of listen to the stories and you begin to think you, you, you're you part of our life and part of our story, I think that's what maybe attracts people. I don't know. Yeah. 
Bob? Yeah, no, amen. I mean, I, I it, it's a similar thing. You know, Father Dave and I have always, uh, I think, had a, a similar vision of of ministry and um, just being in a, a part of friendship. I mean, I think this is what you guys do really well as well. You know, just like it's okay. You can laugh. You can lighten up. Um, you can be serious. But I, I think so many people are just lacking like mm-hmm. Christian brotherhood. You know, and mm-hmm. and how to engage in that, and so um, I know that's something I really enjoy in my friendship with Father Dave, and yeah, it's a just it's just a natural thing. It's it's fun to sit down, and we're not exactly you know we kind of sketch out like two minutes beforehand. I think we'll say this, and we'll plug this, and we'll close with this. But other than that, we're just uh, being brothers in Christ and trying to look at the world and yeah. try to offer some people some hope. And I think that's you know, where, and, to go what yeah. you said earlier, Gomer, is that we want to try to be kind of relevant. That's why we're doing it once a week and we're not recording it, you know, a week's in advance is we want to try to deal with things that are in people's face right now. You know, the, you said the intersection of faith and culture. So basically we're just copying you guys now that I think about it. Yeah. We're like we're like well, the PG it, version Luke, of Luke, catching foxes. You're bald. Really? I'm bald. Bob, yeah, you have hair. Gomer, you exactly. have hair. See? Luke, you and I share the same birthday, so we're basically it's, it's twins. Fate. This it's is fate. interesting. The more I think about this, Bob, Bob, when were you born? 1972. What what day? What day? January 26th. <gasps> so weird. No, that's nothing. No. It's not even similar at all. Oh, dang it. Gomer, no. I always get uh, your birthday is like around the same time as my wife's. I'm always like, ah, it's like May something something. But Gomer <laughs> and I have a very Gomer and I have a fim- similar fashion sense. We got the glasses, like the beard, the, the vest. Yeah. Sometimes we rock the vest. I used to. I used to. I don't. I don't own a vest anymore. What happened? You went the to Texas. The last vest a person let me borrow a a three hundred dollar cashmere country club sweater vest. And I spilt punch all over the front of it and never gave it back to him. <laughs> oh, God bless Deacon Mike Mims. May he rest in peace. I found that sweater vest like two years after he died. And I was like, oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. I feel so awful. I've had this in my You're like going to his grave. Years. You're like digging it up. You're trying to just bury it with, yeah. his, with his sight. Yeah. I love you. I love you and miss you so much. But don't hold this against me. I know Don't it was you me. who opened my kitchen cupboards last night. <laughs> That's like the theme of our whole of our whole podcast. Please don't hold this against me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've lost I've lost gigs because of catching foxes. I've lost um, ministry opportunities to go and speak and, and whatever. But I've also, I think, equally gained. Here's here's um, one of the things response. I think you guys do, yeah. and it's and it's actually one of the things that Bob and I have talked about on our podcast a number of times, and that is your willingness to dialogue with people that you don't necessarily see eye to eye with. And, and unfortunately we live in a culture that, that wants to demonize you just for reaching out, you know, to somebody who's different than you. And, and I think that that's one thing that you guys have done really well. If you look at, at the range of individuals that you guys have had on your show, uh, it's, yeah, it's really, it's really impressive. Well, yeah. You. Like, just... like when you had me on and I liked the last Jedi, I mean, like serious <laughs> diversity. Yeah. What a dummy. <laughs> right. Someone was drinking a lot then. I really want to try again with that with that movie. Look, a bomber in space. <laughs> a bomber. All in the sequels spa- are. Oh, it's magnetic. Look, all the all the sequels. It's they start pushing it in the gravity and the, and it keeps it makes total sense. It's fine. Yeah. You just go along for the ride. No, I, I I was actually talking to a priest. Let's go with yesterday, and he had a really good point. Uh, 
you were talking about um, how do you address the Black Lives Matter movement? How do you a thing that there are some real things here that I like. I agree with the idea that of course Black Lives Matter, but then when they have cultural Marxism and all this other stuff, and they're like, how? And, and he just brought up like, well, what if they're the Samaritan person that God's put in sure. your life? Fair enough. Like, what like or like who are like actually he like who are the Samaritans in your life? that you have a hard time with in terms of like some of their ideas and stuff or the other thing, but like God has put them in your life because they're doing some good stuff and you just have to get involved. And I was like, that's really, I'm challenging and I don't want to be challenged. So okay. back to my, you just ignored him. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. Good call. Good call. <laughs> you, you but you know, one well. of the challenges like, of course is Luke, that Luke, yeah. and he's like, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> think my fly. Well, we... Think. Yeah. <laughs> but we often want to take the worst of the other people. And make that the norm. And they and we do that with each other, right? You know, because that's a great example. Like, um, you know, things like Black Lives Matter, it, it's, a, it's a little strange sometimes being in some of the circles I run in. And, yeah, there's super issues with that organization, to be sure. I have a black son, and I'm just really sensitive to the culture that he's growing up in. And yeah. I, I want to be, I, I be appreciative of his culture, and I don't want him just to grow up as – like a white kid, you know, even though he's in a white family. And, and so, you know, I hear conversations like that and I get a bit torn and like, wow, okay, well, I probably might have thought more this one way, but now I'm really worried about what kind of experience is my son going to have in America and, and in these situations. And it, it just it just hits a bit more home. But if you want to narrate like things like that as the worst, it's the socialism, it's mm-hmm. the all the stuff, like, and you know people want to do that with Catholics, right? Like you're Catholic, so that means you hate gay people and you you know don't care about clerical abuse, and like we just have a tendency of just taking the worst of each other and saying that must be the norm of it. And the reality is, I think those are more fringe elements, uh, and at the heart of it, there's more in common. Yeah, and and the thing that I am more and more convinced of is. If, if we would just absolutely, totally ignore the activists and get to know the regular people dealing with these situations, it would be a much healthier, wholesome, healing, restorative, freeing conversation. But the activists, on, on almost every issue, they, they control the narrative, uh, they, they manipulate, they take arguments solely for their purposes – and, and and what they want to do is they want to create an us against them when that's just in, that, that we don't have to live in that world. So, yeah, just yeah, forget yeah. forget. I like the, the way this one guy put it. He, he said that uh, every political party, every political movement needs two groups of people. You need your purists and you need your realists. The realists get stuff done. The purists keep you honest. And he said, but the problem with the purists is they don't get anything done because it's never good enough. And the compromise terrifies them because they think you're a sellout. And then you have the compromisers who think the purists are whack jobs who live in la-la land. And if we're going to get it anywhere close to our goal, we have to accept X, Y, and Z. And the funny thing is there should always be a healthy tension between the purist and the, uh, the realist kind of – and just you know whatever loose political terms there. But the idea is what happens is the activists are the purists. But they're the most obnoxious branch of the purists. So when they take over and they're able to shut down, like to me, the dangerous part is when you shut out speech from the realists or the rest or the moderate or whatever. 
um, you end up uh, you end up creating a the, the the largest megaphones go to the most fanatical, and they outcompete one another in their you know they only represent eight percent of the extreme right and extreme left, but they have both dominated the narratives of the news cycle, and if I can shout louder than you, then I win even within my own eight percent, and that I think. And then you just have the news media that wants those 8% on both sides because that gets some views, you know? Right, exactly. That's absolutely right. That's what I was going to say. The, the one who yelled the loudest, the one who's the most obnoxious, the one who's the most, that's the one who, who captures the oxygen in the room. Yeah. Yeah, because it's clickbait. I mean, everyone's just, everyone's working on ratings. It's what bait? Clickbait. It's what you put there and you click on it. It's an internet thing. <laughs> We're on the internet now, yeah. by the way. Do you know how this works? <laughs> Excuse me, operator, give me a party line. <laughs> it's an old joke. It's an old person joke. I know what a party line is. I think that's why I'm offended. <laughs> <laughs> I don't because I'm pure. Um, I think a lot of people who were, you know, at Franciscan and then, you know, um, went into ministry over the past, uh, over the past, let's say, 20 to 30 years or so. Like there were there were like a whole bunch of times where like we were the ones who were viewed as I'm a, as like I'm a, the fanatic. And at times, even by like your pastor oh, yeah. or someone, and um, I ran into that a bunch where I was like, "Please don't put me in this box. Like I'm not this, even though I totally am." Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm just being like, I'm not, you know, I'm not just a person who because I'm like I remember being told by this one guy who was like, "Yeah, like you're involved in the group that like you know you're, you're like you and I'm life team and like all the people you guys all um, think and act the same and you're your heroes. I'm John Paul too, and this is who and like what you are." And I'm like. But that's totally like you're already judging me by the time you even really know who, who I am, and that like really bothered me, just because I had such a. Um, I love Franciscan. I hope my daughter um goes there. She kind of doesn't have a choice, um, but it's not <laughs> this thing of like. Um, you hope your daughter wants to go there. Oh yeah, really. I mean, I mean, she's going there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, listen, I all I want is to go to Cross Street Tavern for you know, like when I have to go to my daughter's school. That's all I. I it's not really. It's more about me. Like I'm just like, listen, I just I need this, please. <laughs> I need hope that you know, I will be going back. Um, Luke, have you done the math? How old will Everly be? Yes, <laughs> I'll be in my late fifties, <laughs> and so. But like all of our friends have kids around the same age. The question is: Is how old will I be? You'll be around. That's the real question. Oh, you'll be dead. You'll be. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> nice. It's in five years. What you're already pushing? What eighty? They'll be putting your body in that pit they threw all the other TOs. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Huh? That just such a great line. <laughs> So <laughs> uh, but you know, and it just, I, I think, um, it, 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 as like we become a more of the predominant norm within ministry, I've kind of, I'm seeing that, I've seen that happen where you just, it has, I'm um, leaned for, I don't know how else to put it, just a little bit more conservative in terms of people who are, who are now in these roles at dioceses, at parishes, and stuff. I think there is, is there like is a tendency now to try to say, oh, like this person, um, he went to Xavier or he went to insert other school here. I know what he's about, and I'm like, I don't want to do that because I mm-hmm. have that done yeah. to me. And that like sure, honestly, sure. it, it kind of hurt because it was like like you totally oh, yeah. have labeled me, and now we I I don't know what to do with that. Sure, it's fun to in, to be in ministry and try to break some of those stereotypes. I mean, that's actually been a real mm-hmm. a real joy in my own life. Um, you know, like, yeah, I've always been, you know, from the 90s, you know, just labeled as the Steubenville guy, you know, came out of Steubenville, did the conferences, started teaching there. And um, I've had a real great joy over the past, you really the past 10 years, 
uh, particularly in you know different circles and different organizations, just working really hard to just try to get people to see Franciscan in a new way. Uh, really appreciate it. You know, um, I mean, the crap hit the fan a couple years ago when we did that youth ministry conference on campus, but it was uh, also just a great opportunity to reach out to new people and different organizations that would have never shown up at Franciscan. Mm-hmm. And they were super blessed by it and built some really great uh, relationships and some networking uh, that happened. And yeah, I, I think that's kind of part on all of us is that we try to be the ones that maybe step out of a stereotype and don't let ourselves just be pegged into that hole. Um, and and I, I think some of the, you know, it's not the negative, it's not the positive stuff, you know, it's not the orthodoxy and the JP2 and the other stuff. It's a sense of we're judgmental, we know better than them, we demonize the other side. Again, it's, those they just think of the things, worst Bob. of those things. And those are bad things, <laughs> yes. Yes, those sure are, those are bad things. Yeah. Father Michael Scanlon, actually, my... Uh, freshman year fall semester he gave a talk to some of the theology majors like incoming theology catechetics and he said uh he said basically you know what i have to keep doing when i go and give talks in different dioceses every so often i have to apologize for franciscan graduates because uh they're harsh and judgmental and quick to dismiss people and he's like is that the life we live on campus here like no that is not at all what we're called to be (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, that is the life on campus, but it's fun, too, right? It's fun. <laughs> the nights are weird. <laughs> no, but the uh, the brilliant thing of, of Steubenville that I thought was so fascinating is in American Catholicism in the 80s and 90s, youth ministry was what liberals did, right? Because that was, like, very much a, well, you, you know, we do CCD. We're the Confraternity of Christian Doctrine here. We're PSR or whatever. And to do youth ministry was something that was Protestant or evangelical. And then you have all of these kids coming out of Steubenville who were taking over diocesan offices of like, like I think of like the Richmond Diocese, which at one point in the 90s was considered to be when that famous book, Goodbye, Good Men, was written. Arlington was considered to be the most conservative diocese, which was hewn out of the Richmond Diocese, considered to be the most liberal diocese Mm. in America. And then in 2015, I had done events up and down Richmond Diocese, because it's a very big diocese, and they're like 80% Stubi grads, and the youth ministers are Stubi grads, and it's all this stuff, and it's like, wow, they took over the culture, and I bet you they had no idea what they were doing. They're like, whoa, these people have degrees in youth ministry. Bring them in. Yeah, and then all of a sudden it's like, wait, what? Adoration? Confession? Oh, no, that's the forgotten sacrament. Or whatever they were talking about. I think it's one of Father Mike's most anointed phrases, and is just that that concept of dynamic orthodoxy. Mm-hmm, I mean, yeah. he was really speaking in a time when it felt like, well, if you're really alive in your faith, you can't believe what the church teaches. You know, you can't like love, have, do ministry, be relational, be evangelistic, and be faithful. Like, you, it's almost like if if you want to do that, you have to be challenging authority and pushing the envelope. And and again, I, I think there's a lot of room in the church uh, for different uh, different movements and different ideas, but I, I've always just been on fire with the just dynamic orthodoxy and, and a lot of times just being a witness to, no, you can actually still have that passion and that love. I mean, you guys have probably all experienced that. And, you know, Dave, this is something you said way back when, um, that uh, you know when you you know when you're studying the faith, it's kind of like about liberal or conservative, you know, orthodox or not. 
But then when you get out in the field, it's really about faithful or not faithful. And you start to encounter people who have a different ecclesiology, have a different spirituality, were formed differently. But man, they love the Lord, you know, and, and they want to do ministry. I, I had an, one of my early experiences in um, youth ministry. I was up in the Diocese of Albany, and I was the only guy youth minister in the diocese, and I was the only person under 30 at the time. And I, would, and I went to, um, you know, the, the uh, youth ministry meetings that happened like once a month, and they always drove me a little crazy. So there was one that I was at, and, you know, they, let, they had different prayer services, right? And um, so they had us all close our eyes, and, of course, they played a cassette because I'm old. And it was a cassette of what is the song? We are called to share our story. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We are called, right? Call it old reliable. Yeah. So I was, uh, it was me and 12 other women. And, you know, I'm, I'm 26, and these are all women, maybe late 40s at the earliest. And they are singing this with a passion. And they're passing around an object that we're not supposed to look at but we're supposed to feel and get a sense of what is God saying with this. So um, it's a, it's a pine cone, you know, because of course I'm going to look at it. Right. And meanwhile, everybody's singing this song. Well, what's really weird is this song is about 53 verses and 20 of them, I kid you not, are in Polynesian. Like it, it started to go to Polynesian and everybody in the room, Mickey Locky, who I mean, I was like, is am I like, is this praying in tongues? Like, what is going on with this group? And then I felt some water in the back of my neck, and I thought maybe somebody blessed me with holy water. So I looked up, and somebody was blowing bubbles, you know, during this time. So I'm like, hell no, I'm out of here. And like at the first break, I made a beeline to the door into the parking lot, but I had a moment as I came in the parking lot. It was my really crappy Toyota Corolla that was you know, the, the back of the car was just a mess with youth ministry stuff. And it was parked next to about three other cars of these women who all had similar crappy, messy cars. And I thought to myself, they're making just as many sacrifices to minister to young people as I am. And I just, I went back in the room and I had a totally, it was like a grace of the spirit. Like, yeah, I think you're kooky. Like, this is weird. Like, but you, you're do at least you're doing it. You're like here. you're, yeah, you're exactly. loving the Lord. Yeah. You're here. Yep. You're trying, and yep. I, I have to kind of get off my high horse sometimes and not be like, well, my way's the best way. Even though I do think my way's the best way, but I think we all think our way's the best way. That's why it's called our way. If it wasn't, I would do another way. Um, right. Would you say that when you went back into that room, you felt like you had the courage to share your story? Uh, in the in the because I came because to tell you. Come it. To I said, tell Let me tell story. you my story. Nice. And, uh, but I did it in Polynesia. <laughs> Take that. What's up, nerds? Our friends over at CatholicCardGame.com are making an online version of our favorite card game, the Catholic card game. This online version will be able to be played on the phone or computer, and people can play it together via Zoom call. Not only that, but they're launching a Spanish version as well online, so people can play in both English and Spanish. Now, what they want to do is crowdfund this sucker, right? They are raising the money in order to make this happen. We're looking to raise $14,000 in the month of February. This is going to cover all the coding costs and the infrastructure needed to create not just an online game, but a good experience. The people that want to pre-order 
where the game can go there. And for $20, you get lifetime access. This is a not an annual subscription. One payment, 20 bucks, gets you that pre-order. Help them reach their goal. Go to the link in the show notes, and it'll take you directly to their website where you can help fund the Catholic Card Game Online Edition. See how about Espanol? Once again, thanks to Matt and all the other fine folks over at CatholicCardGame.com for sponsoring this show. How do you? Um, I would I would be really I'm a, I would be uh, curious to hear like how you guys encourage either current students or I would I think probably a whole bunch of alumni who are trying to navigate the divide that's going on right now within conservative Catholicism for lack of a better term, you know, between quote unquote rat trads or, you know, and different podcasts, I'm a little different um, podcast individuals who will go nameless or, you know, other people who are kind of saying things that are a little, you know, they're, they're, they've got stuff. And it's, I, I have experience even like, you know, even with um, guys that we were in household with that have caused some real divides. Like, I mean, not, I, I wouldn't say that they have, you know, ended friendships but it's gotten close to that at times um any thoughts on that at all any just advice not not asking for a friend asking for for me here yeah yeah no i a a couple things first off it is i think it is in many ways the challenge of of the church right now and uh the evil one's just getting a kick out of this because we are literally eating our own you know uh we we talk about you know, what the quote unquote, the world and how the world is against us. The reality is, is we are just beating the crap out of each other. And, and I've quoted in, several times on campus, this text from mother Teresa that said, we've forgotten that we belong to one another. And we've got in this world that, that has become so divisive and demonizing the other person and not listening and not, uh, I mean, not, not basic charity, um, it's it's actually one of the things that that I'm finding the most frustrating in in ministry right now is is this absolute inability for dialogue and for basic respect and uh, and, and the reality is and, I, and I'll go back to um, and this is not my word this was the word of, of uh, Archbishop Chaput who was obviously as we all know one of the more first off I, and, and I'll say Luke I, I don't think the labels conservative and liberal are effective because what it does is it causes us to look at the world through political lens rather than through the gospel. But be that as it may, I understand that the, the uh, sentiment. But Cardinal uh, Archbishop Chaput said that the people that he finds it, and this was his line, he finds it most difficult is the ultra-conservative because there's no sense of, of openness. There's no sense of acting and operating in charity. And in, in, uh, in, in many ways, I found that experience to be exactly the same. Um, it's it's we find ourselves uh, in really really strange times. Well, it's when church becomes an ideology. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, it becomes it's such an ideology. Like it becomes like, and I don't mean faith in Christ. I mean the the external forms that I adopt as religion can very easily become an idol, right? It can very easily. I, I remind people all the time, like when they created the golden calf. They didn't say, this is Apis, the bull god, come let us worship. They called him Yahweh and worshipped it for bringing them out of Israel, or out of Egypt, right? They attributed to a thing made by their hands that which is God. 
that which God has done. And it goes right back to the Cain and Abel story. Well, the Cain story, Cain's first son, his name in Hebrew means consecration. And he names the city, the first city, after his son, consecration. And Dr. Han one time said, well, what, what right does this evil man have to do that? He's consecrating the work to himself. That's the, what characterizes the, the, the way of the world. And it's so, I mean, I have done this. I have been 100% guilty of this, where my, my spirituality is all that can be, right? I have my, my lines of demarcation of what is and isn't heresy. Usually it just means I haven't done enough reading. It, it means I'm actually really ignorant. And you need, in early stages of learning your faith, you need black and white as sharply defined as possible. And you need those countries that black and white in uh, to be as broadly defined. Like you need to live in the black and the white because you don't have the intellectual capacity and resources to dwell in nuance, right? You have to talk about things like natural law, but then when you spend years studying St. Thomas Aquinas and you actually study the natural law, you're like, actually, there's a lot of debate about every aspect of the natural law going well before Thomas Aquinas and by Thomas well after, like the new natural law theory, which I reject, but a lot of people love. There's so much going on that so many people can very easily distort to their own destruction, and it scares me. And that's where I, I just get so I get so frustrated with some of this because, you know, Bob used the word dynamic orthodoxy. Unfortunately, we're living in a world that orthodoxy is what an individual claims it to be, and and you can't have disagreements. So it has. To, if you're orthodox, you have to live in this world, and it's very narrow and it's very confined. So if two people disagree, one of them is obviously unorthodox when when you can take we have doctors in the church who disagreed on substantive theological issues and yet they're both saints they're both doctors of the church they're both in good standing of the church but we live in a world that very quickly wants to to ostracize and say because that's not my preference not necessarily because that's not what is theologically correct but it's not my preference and because of that anathema the other individual and it's yeah it's profoundly destructive in the church right so how do you navigate that as the president of a famous Catholic university uh, that is no longer Christian? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the, yeah. What yeah. I mean to say I is mean, honestly, how, it's, did, it's... How, how difficult was it for you to stump for Biden so much? Right? You're, uh... <laughs> well, I, you know, honestly, it's for first off, and, and I think this... his homily about voting for Ross Perot was moving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was nailed it. Nailed it. There's not a dry eye in the house. You write that name in. You write it. He's dynamic. <laughs> Did I finish? Yeah, I think. I think. No, honestly, honestly, it's it goes to what you were saying. In essence, Bob, it's it's got to start in relationship. Um, you know, obviously, the other thing I remind myself, and, and this is the world you ask specifically, Gomer, about the university is we're dealing with younger people. You know, so they, they live in a world and they know a little bit, but they think that it's necessarily a lot of bit. So it's it's a challenge for them to um, broaden them, to uh, invite them to think um, with, a, I think, honestly, to think more as the church thinks, not as a celebrity thinks or not as an individual thinks, but really to think as the church thinks. And that is also means, again, you asked about the university, be really patient. You know, uh, they're coming in, many of them coming in from uh, lived experiences of the church and lived experience of faith that are quite different than others need to be able to respect that, to see that, but then also 
to challenge them. It's a, it's a terrifying, I think it's a terrifying proposition to come to the place that you realize that your faith needs to develop. And this, we, we think we have this understanding of God, and we think we have this understanding of church, and when that begins to get unsettled, um, that's, that's frightening. Now, I actually, look, one of your questions that was in the posting was that whole mm-hmm. deconstruction yeah. thing. Now, I think that's something different. I think that's, this deconstruction is something that, if I understand the question correctly, that the individual himself or herself goes about deconstructing. And, and I don't think that's necessarily the case, is, is through understanding deeper the teaching of the church and who, in fact, Jesus is, not who we want him to be, who we think he should be, but, in fact, who he is. There is this disorientation that we go through that I think is profoundly healthy and good in that, you know, I always tell a story about this experience I had where I heard the Lord say to me, that's not the kind of God I am. And, and we need to be able to hear that and, and have that challenge. Now, we see in the scriptures... When, when Jesus said things that challenged them, ultimately what it did is it cost him his life. So there are people that are so entrenched in their understanding of the way it should be, they will do anything they can to destroy the others. And I think we watch it and read comments in the Internet all the time that, that we see that taking place. And I would add to that, I mean, Luke and Gomer, when did you guys graduate? What year, what year were you guys graduating from? Just a second, Luke, I saw you stepped away for a second. Is that legal? I can step away for just one second. I'd step away to go and I'm getting some questions. Okay, I'm, so. I'm second way to go get something to drink. Yeah, yeah. Can you get me a beer while you're out there, Dave? Father, yeah, we're good. Thank you. So, what year? Uh, what year did you guys graduate? 2005 and t- 2006. So, um, you know, I've uh, I graduated in '97 with my master's degree, right? So, I graduated my undergrad not at Franciscan at a place called Rollins College in uh, north of Orlando in uh, 94. So it's kind of fun. Like with, I think father Dave graduated mid eighties. So we, we seem to actually almost hit like, you know, yeah, the four yeah. of us, we seem to hit the decades of different graduates of, of Franciscan. And I would say as somebody that graduated nineties has been teaching since 2004, um, students, I just dramatically see a maturity, a, a shift, a significant lack thereof with freshman classes, uh, year after year, but particularly, gosh, particularly the past five, five to 10 years, you know, they're, you know, I mean, you can make the entitlement jokes and the snowflake jokes and, you know, the millennial stuff. Um, but there's a reason stereotypes are there. And to be honest, I don't, I mean, they didn't ask to be grown up in the culture that they grew up in. You know, if, if we think millennials are entitled that 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 points to the parents. That's not them. You know, they never they didn't ask for everybody to get an award, right? You know, that was just something that another generation thought would be really really good for them. So I think it's a bit hypocritical when older generation starts like making fun of these stupid kids that don't know what they're doing. It's like you raised them, right? You know, <laughs> um, but I I I get more and more aware that the the freshmen that I get in in my classes are and you know. 2021 are very, very different from 2011. And you're right, Gomer, what you were saying is when you begin, you need the black and white and there's a, and they cling to it. Right. And, um, I think that's been actually one of the benefits. Just, I, I think it's really important that we just, you're not saying that there's not black and white. Yeah. And I think that's a right. There's a okay. simpler and understanding. Right. And, and I yeah. think it's actually the understanding of the foundation of it. Yeah. Well, but I, I'd say that that you start to get, and this is hopefully what you get with education, like 
what's the foundation, what's the unchanging doctrine, and then what are ways that it's expressed and lived out, you know, in a lot of beautiful ways. I mean, you just think of all the, the flourishings of various spiritualities within the church. A Franciscan is different than a Dominican, which is different than a Carmelite, which is different than a Jesuit, and one isn't right and one isn't wrong, you know, and and sometimes I think young people, you talk about our students, like that, they're, they're so like desperate to cling to everything that they can't see some of those differences. And they feel like, well, if there's a different way of looking at that, then everything, everything's off the table. And so I, I find as an educator, one of the joys is actually to help them um, be grounded in what they need to be grounded in, rooted in what they need to be rooted in. Uh, but then also just start to experience the beauty of, of faith and, and yeah. Well, it, and I think that's the power of a um, place like Franciscan is all of this happens in the context of an amazing community, you know, and there's, I mean, I've got the scars to like prove that it's not perfect. Half is my fault, but half. Yeah, let's go uh, two thirds. Yeah, like um, <laughs> there are some people who would say eighty eighty percent, but uh, we call those people Carrie Dominey. Um, the uh, <laughs> there's this um, beautiful thing that ha- and I didn't really start to understand until we were out in Gomming, where I was like, oh, like this, like the um, um, the um, culture of the school. Sure, there's tons of things that I could be like. Why do we have this? But like, it's really good. Like it's really, really good, and it really and and it and it provides that space where all that can happen. Because if you don't have that space where you're actually talking with people about it at bars or at you know house parties or at that stuff, which is like what we did because we were Catholic nerds, like it's what we talked about at parties. You know, it, it was about this stuff. Um, so, guys, uh, now that you got a couple beers in you, what about Ronner, huh? What about Carl? You would Ronner? literally do that, Gober. You would literally do that. <laughs> I had a I had a different college yes. experience. But Going to Henry L- Rollins uh, School of Rock Music. <laughs> right. Gomer, and to your point, Luke, I think that part of that is, and and actually you too, Bob. I'll just add all you, is that if you've got a culture and an environment where the kids feel they can trust you, that you care for them, that you love them, that you want the best for them, they're willing to to be stretched. One hundred percent agree. But if that's not res- if if that's not respected then they're going to put up their fight, and that's, and that's okay. I, I think that that's what we're trying to create here is an environment that that can happen. Hey, can I tell a quick my story, concern, Bob? Though, my concern, though, oh, sorry, yeah, sorry, my concern, sorry. though, is, is that we're beginning to – thank you, um, because I am the father. We established that at the beginning. Um, <laughs> is that we're living in a world that doesn't let you dialogue, that doesn't let you have a conversation, that, that they see the conversation is problematic, and that's, that's just a mess. That's a mess. Can I – can I say something real quick, Bob? Let's vote on it. You were talking Luke, about these were the kids. I'd rather not. Luke says yes. Bob, yep, you go. You're good, Gomer. Can I finish? I, d- I would like to finish. My kid yesterday was reading, uh, or a couple days ago, was reading a series that he got called Hey Jack. And uh, he's reading through, and they're like chapter books, right? So learning how to read, learning how to do all this stuff. And he's like, Daddy, can I read this to you? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And usually it's like, here's one problem. They, it bothers them for a chapter, and then they solve it at the last chapter. And it was, he didn't get put with his best friend, a girl named Billy B. Brown, but with this other kid who's better at him than math. So the story goes on, and this is how it ends. It ends with a dramatic uh, math competition where these two boys are against these two girls, and now they're so competitive they're not friends anymore. 
So the girls actually win, but because the boys learned how to be teammates and not just one trying to answer everything all the time, the teacher gave them extra bonus points, so they tied. And I yeah. said, and I said to Noah, my son, I go, that is crap. That is a crap book, son. <laughs> I was like, you put that book down. And he's like, yeah, I didn't like the story either. I go, no, no, let me tell you why it's a crap book, son. At Hogwarts, they would have won. How it should have ended was the boys lost, the girls won, and then the boys learned a lesson that you can actually be friends even though you lose. You can actually deal with your crap. And I'm like going off at 7.30 at night. I'm like, you could, I'm like, I'm like not even looking at him. I'm just like staring into the future. And I'm like, you could actually, you can actually work through your problems without having to get, you know. And I was like, this is why we gave Gomer a time limit during Lord's Day. Yeah. Hey, Gomer, if, if your boy needs to chat, please give him my number. I'll walk him through this. How, uh. I, I kind of wanted to ask about when you brought up the whole deconst the whole uh, deconstruction movement because that's a really big deal. You're trying to see certain- and, and a big word. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I was like, get it right, Luke. Um, like how, like in your own experience, how do you guys, when you have a person who's going through that, how do you navigate that? All right, tell me what that is actually. So it's it is this current on movement. It started with in the um, Protestant Church, as you know, like everything always does. Back in probably the mid to late aughts, you'd have these Catholic artists, uh, speakers, and like pastors. I think it would always would tend to start with LBGT issues, and they would say, "Ooh, I don't know about this," and then they would say, and then kind of good on the road, like, "Do I think this is actually?" Do I think that what this that like what this church says about this is this like is this you know actually real? I'm not sure. And then from there, the whole their whole faith unravels. And I mean, not like always with LB with LB with LB of GT issues, but I, I it tends to be I think that's where it starts. Usually, it's a moral yeah, issue. Yeah, because yeah. It, and it really starts when they have a person that they can actually put a name and a face to it, as opposed to an idea. And then, it le- so like you have like big people um, like Derek Webb, uh, the um, Hillsong um, pastor guy, a, a few other people who have said like I'm I am I'm not a Christian anymore because yeah. of this, and it's this like huge movement, and we've seen it creep into the Catholic Church a bit as well with certain like artists, um, other um, people who just kind of like say hey you know what guys actually I d- don't believe this any like anymore, and and I think we're starting to see it as well just with as people you know. Um, they get older, they don't have the cultural inertia behind them, I think, to like keep practicing their, their faith. So it's like, do I really unbelieve this? And then all of a sudden it's like, I don't. And then it's this whole Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, there's like a, uh, if you're a conservative evangelical, right, in the 80s and 90s, what do you think about homosexuals? Well, you've never met one. Uh, if you do, they're nothing but a deviant. And I don't know about you, but being raised in Oklahoma, the things that people would say about every gay man has on on average a thousand sexual partners like i i literally heard that everywhere and i remember uh, a teacher brought it up in uh in my catholic school we were talking about the issue of homosexuality most of us had never even most of the people in the ninth grade classroom at that time had never heard of that let alone knew what that or met someone you know and uh i said well i heard that they have like uh, the average statistically and he's like that is literally the most preposterous statistic I've ever heard. And I was like, what? <laughs> but you could understand where uh, someone is demonized, right, right, to, you know, a Democrat, a, uh, a homosexual, a whatever. And then you meet them and you find out, well, they're just like me. You know, they don't want 
bad neighborhoods and they don't want their kids getting bullied and they don't, you know, like 90% of the mundane, we're all the same in, in a lot of ways. And that begins the process of, huh, well, maybe I actually didn't like Reagan or Bush or whatever. Maybe it wasn't all about, and then you just see the thread unravel. And it, in, in fact, it very rarely has anything to do with Christianity as doctrine, but it has to do with Christianity as a lived culture, like the sustaining culture that kind of props it up. Because you, you, as people, it starts, I, I, yeah. I think it does yeah, end yeah, up yeah, yeah, yeah. in doctrine. But yeah, yeah, and then they go like, "Well, I can't believe a lot of the Protestants go right to Sola Scriptura." Then, well, I met these wonderful, nice people who happen to be gay. All the condemnations as them, then that that's wrong. I have to reject the book. Yeah, and I would say that some of that though just has to do with. It goes kind of back to what we were talking about earlier, right? Like uh, putting our priorities in the wrong place, or um, not having the focus. A first of all, the focus on Jesus, like a relationship with Jesus, and really understanding and allowing ourselves to be challenged by the gospel. Like, you know, we want to put God in a box. And so I've always found it, um, you know, surprising that, you know, like in my day, I remember when um, friends had the homosexual wedding episode, you know, the lesbians, and everybody was losing their crap at Franciscan because, oh my gosh, we need to boycott friends because, you know, two women just got married on the show. Now, I didn't really watch the show or engage, so it's easy to critique something you're not really invested in. But my attitude was, why aren't you boycotting the show already? Every episode has sexual sin in it. Like, everybody's sleeping with each other, and they're not married, and they're not, they're not loving, you know, like, so suddenly it's like, okay, well, that sexual sin's okay, but that sexual sin's, like, really, really bad, you know? And it's like, we're, we judge, like, the stuff, the sins that we get involved with, we're like, I mean, that's okay. God's like, yeah, I dig it. But then the this, this sins that we're not tempted with... We go, oh my God, like how can that happen? Like that is horrible. And you just start unraveling things because you don't have the humility. And I mean, the church always says, right? You don't discriminate, right? I mean, like you never discriminate. Everybody is a child of God, a son or a daughter of God. And you see a lot of movements. Now, many of this was evangelical and Protestant, but Catholics were just as much to blame with it, that really did treat people made in the image and likeness of God and, and took away their dignity by labeling them as a sin. And, and you're right. It's because there wasn't relationship. It's because we didn't know people, you know, who were like that in many ways. Um, and you're already off base at that point. Like if you're living that and saying you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're already not rooted in the gospel and you don't have the right foundation and so then when you come to the awareness that, oh my gosh, you were wrong about the way you demonized or treated somebody, sadly, you can just throw out the entire system and you're blaming, you end up blaming Jesus and blaming the church for your own problem and your own uh, judgmentalism and stereotype, because maybe it's just a feeling of guilt you had. You know, I shouldn't have treated people that way. Why did I do that? It's the church's fault. Yeah. That's what sin always does. It's always somebody else's fault. And... I mean, I think it just really always comes down to that, uh, you know, allowing Jesus to challenge us and to change us. You know, we can we can be solid in faith and 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 disagree with practices and keep morality, but love, 
you know, and die for and sacrifice. I mean, Jesus died for sinners. The process you know? of questioning our faith is, is an absolutely essential thing. You know, or one of the theologians I read that, that the process of faith is one of orientation. We think we got everything figured out, a disorientation. Oh, maybe I didn't have it all. And then this reorientation and this reorientation always should lead us into a deeper relationship with Jesus, a deeper understanding of the teaching of the church and the wisdom and why she teaches what she teaches. That process of disorientation is, by its name, disoriented. I mean, it's 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 kind of scary. And, and again, as I stated earlier, that beginning to question your faith is is in one sense scary, but it's also an adult and it's a maturing. I think on one level, we have a population of, of Catholics that their faith formation stopped in sixth grade when they were con- confirmed, and they really haven't done any more study or anything like that. So they're, you know, the rest of their life, God willing, the rest of their life they've matured, but their spiritual life is not. So that that process and that time of ori- of disorientation, and what I've seen is is you know students who have left Franciscan University or left, uh, let, let's say they're teens, you know, and they get into their twenties and, and early thirties, and they're beginning to go through that the questioning, which again is is a healthy thing. My my experience of watching this is it largely how they're going to turn out largely depends on the people they've surrounded themselves with. That if they've surrounded with themselves with people who are not of faith, people who are not believers, people that are not faithful, they've largely deconstructed and totally walked away because they don't have that voice of reason. They don't have that voice of, uh, of truth and, and, and wisdom, and they've just bought into what, whatever's being sold them. And, 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 uh, and I'll just say myself as a friar and a priest, watching that, I, I often can determine how somebody's doing by how close they stay in contact with me, you know? Um, I, in some ways, I think I feel like I'm their conscience, right? And and I've just seen, you know, people and students and friends that I was close with that, that walked away. And, well, you know, they they figure, you know, Father Dave's not going to care for me anymore. He's not going to love me anymore. He's not going to. And, and that's a choice and decision that they make. Um, but I think I think the, the largest, I don't know if it's fair to say the largest, but one of the greatest determining factors of how an individual is going to do through that process is who they're surrounding them. Well, uh, we are at the one hour mark, so I will just I'll leave you guys with this, um, with this um, one question. <laughs> can we rename whatever it's called, like a CC Heights, whatever? Can we just call it the projects again? Can we do that? Can you do an executive order? It is. Seriously, that is so – I mean, I, I tell them, I go, you guys, this yeah. is so like, pretentious. They on, talk about their height mates. It's like, oh, come height on. Mates. Height mates? I, I like I yeah, saw that I was I was yeah. back I yeah. I don't I remember why but I I I, I saw it and I was like you to be joking they're the same <laughs> like they're yeah exactly yeah you the can same. you can dress up you can dress up what's the thing you can dress <laughs> you up put a on a pig or something <laughs> oh I love that I loved my house yeah. Yeah. oh look they added light gray linoleum onto the floors but, okay. but I'll say what's funny about that I was with a student uh, in there in the heights in a. And they were kind of complaining, I don't know, their height didn't have air conditioning or something like that. And I said, you know, I can help you get back to the dorm. Yeah, it's okay. It's all right. I'll, I'll, I'll manage with this. I, you're exactly right. You're exactly but there's right. a um, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda made a movie about Assisi Heights called In the Heights. Really? I think it's coming out no on way. Disney Plus that's cool. oh, very that's soon. Yeah, In the Heights. Yeah. No, Luke. No, he's he's making fun of you, Luke. I, I'm no, so gullible. I'm so unbelievable. I'm like, that's awesome. I love that guy. <laughs> <laughs> We're a big fan of Hamilton here here in the Carey House. Actually, I was singing my daughter to sleep by like doing the uh, dear uh, like the Adoja song. So, oh, that's a great song. Right? That really yeah. is a great song. She like she. Which one is that? One? Uh, the dear Theodosia, what to say yeah, to that you? That is great. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, 
I know that. Are, you, come, are you not seeing Hamilton? No. It's really, actually, it's, it's really, really. I'm sure it is. See? Father Dave, how, how many times have you seen Hamilton? Seven times 70. <laughs> with Joe Biden. How many That's times awesome. have you seen it with Joe Biden? <laughs> uh, can you end us on with a prayer, Father? For Biden? <laughs> yeah. In time. <laughs> I'm not saying no. Yeah, yeah. Actually, again, I just want to affirm you guys. Uh, one of the things that I, as I'm getting older, I, I Which happened an, just yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was at an event a couple of weeks ago, and there was maybe 30 alumni. It was all guys. It was 30 alumni. And, you know, I was just kind of sitting in the background listening to them talk, and they were talking about their spouses and their kids, their retirement and, you know, insurance, and, like, kind of in faith in their parish and all that. And, and I said, you know, I remember when you guys were, were trying to – eat food and then see how quickly you could go to the bathroom and see, I mean, just crazy stuff that you guys did. Right. And they've grown up, you know, and they've matured and it's, it's actually in you two as well. It's just a real blessing to see what God has done in you guys' lives and, 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 and just honor you guys. You've been really faithful. So I just want to honor you guys for that. So yeah, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we ask your continued blessing to be upon us in our ministries. I pray, Jesus, that you'd bless their families, that they would continue to know your peace. Lord, the circumstances that they find themselves at this time, that you care for uh, Gomer and Luke, and just pour your blessing upon them, protection upon them. We bless your their listeners, Lord, that they would continue to come to a deeper understanding of who you are and who you are for them and your love for them. Uh, that this be a time of grace and blessing for them. Lord, I pray for the church, that you give us your wisdom, your heart, your love, your charity for one another, that we are in this together. Lord, pray his blessings upon you guys, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank Amen. You. Bless you guys. David Hope. Amen. Thanks, guys. This is fun. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, please, please listen to their, to their on the podcast. There on we the hope. hope. It's Dare we hope? They that, Wait, is it Dare we hope no, or is it oh, no. oh, they that hope? They. Why do I think it was the, they that you're, hope? You're so susceptible to suggestions. It's true. It's true. <laughs> My wife is on the stairs telling me how loud I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Shannon. Life happens. Listen, I'm 65 years old. <laughs> I'm getting my medication. I also need to get whatever sleep I have left before I'm dead. True. You only have like a week left if you, you know, you really stop thinking about it. If you only get a couple hours of sleep at night. I mean, the biological clock is ticking on multiple <laughs> levels. <laughs> That's my sweet Rothgar. <laughs> okay, Shane, I'll try to be quiet. <laughs> Maybe use my inside voice. I literally am screaming. I don't know why. <laughs> She's going to go crush some beers. <laughs> with her thighs anyway all right next call hi college junior here what should i do in college to make sure i don't have any regrets especially amid you know a pandemic and as a a homebody (laughs) don't drink (laughs) if if your point is to not have regrets i think you're doing it wrong (laughs) you're playing it a little too safe playing it a little too safe it's okay now regrets if you do the same stupid thing that you have regret for, uh, if you do that more than once, then then you have failed. But to commit, I'm not saying sins, but stupidity, that's kind of what college is for, right? Yeah, you have the, there's, um, the, there are kind of like two parts 
to this. And so in terms of the yeah. pandemic, that's, I really feel for you guys because so yeah. much of that age, even, you know, college, not in college, whatever, just being in your late, I mean, you're very like, you know, being, I'm 19. She's, uh, she said she's a junior. So I'm assuming she's 20 or 21. I mean, that's the most social time of your life. And yeah. I think you really need to find a way to, if, if, if you're a homebody, like that's fine. Aaron, Aaron was, but she definitely had her friends over a lot. She had her group of people. And I think it's good to, um, and your family can definitely be a part of that, but I think it's good to like, now's the time where you can develop where, where like the bulk of your non-school work life can be put into outside relationships. And I would take full advantage of that. Yep. New question. Nope. Shannon's voice coming out of Gomer's face is the 2020 sequel I never knew that I didn't need. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And she looks just like me, beard and all. It's true. It's true. 